What up, y'all? Thank you. How are we? Good, good, good. Hey, uh, y'all think y'all were, were hot in here. Man, last, uh, last gathering, we have 360 seats that we set up, and there were 462 people here. So if you're a covenant member, come to the business meeting. That's what that pitch is for. Uh, and you will hear what we are hoping by God's grace to do with that. All right. Uh, welcome to the well. My name is Tori. I am one of the pastors here uh, at the well. And man, I know I keep saying this, but I am excited about what God is doing here right now because uh, there's a lot of work that God is uh, really kind of interacting with and in and through us to kind of make much of him collectively together. And we're getting to partake in something that uh, is really profound found right now in the season of our church. And so I'm excited to continue to do this and continue to dive into this series and our Exalt Disciple Sin series. And what we're doing in this is we're looking at who are we as a church and then where are we going, all right? And in this section and uh, really our second part of the Exalt idea, before we look at where we're going, it's important for us to realize who we are. And so today we're focusing in on the second aspect, which we say as a family that we are a gospel saturated family, okay? Last week we looked at Christ-centered, and that's one of the ways that we exalt Jesus, and this week we're looking at gospel-saturated, and this is what it means to kind of highlight God together, and we want to look at really what does that mean, and if we are going to go where God is calling us, then these truths have to be true about us first. So before looking at where we're going, we want to look at kind of who we are, and really what in this series we're hoping that we get to do is we get to understand how we can kind of collectively partner together to make much of Jesus as a church. What we're also hoping, though, is that you would learn how to take these principles and apply them into your own individual life, that you would kind of see the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God uh, kind of as an individual and then collectively as a whole, okay? And so uh, we, what we say in this gospel saturation, the phrase that we want to use frequently as a church is that we are a gospel-saturated every type of people. Mm-hmm. My, my, my. Come on. All right. And so that's, we're going to dive into that today, but uh, that's who we are. We are a gospel saturated everything type of people. And as we learn how to do that individually and collectively, then the majesty and the glory, the exaltation of Christ is going to be profound in our midst. And so we want to learn how to do that today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We will be in Galatians chapter two. Uh, We're going to camp out there the whole morning, so you don't have to turn. If you uh, need a Bible, I would encourage you to raise your hand right now and the ushers will come forward and give you a Bible. Uh, If you don't own one, you can raise your hand and take, keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the word to be able to use it during the week. You ain't stealing it. We're giving it to you, all right? And so please take that home. You can also follow along on your smartphone. Uh, The link of uh, where to go is up on the screen. You can open up version, type in the well Austin, go to the link, etc., all right? Um, We have a lot of ground to cover today, so I'm going to dive right in while you're turning into Galatians 2. Paul is writing to a church here in the book of Galatians that has honestly begun to forget about the gospel and what this gospel message is and what it does in their lives. So they receive this gospel originally by faith, but now they're beginning to kind of lose that grip on the gospel. And so I want us to realize, don't you ever think that just because you have good theology today doesn't mean that you can begin to lose your grip and become more influenced by your culture than you are by Christ? All right. 
Stay on point, Tori. Okay, here we go, right? So the book of Galatians, right, is written to clarify just that very thing. That's what they're doing. They're, they're losing their grip on the gospel and what it means. And now Paul is coming to kind of recorrect them and say, no, 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 this is, this is what it looks like to live and to operate in the gospel. And so this is where we are going. Now, the book of Galatians, it kind of clarifies how one earns the gospel, all right? I put earns in quotation there, so don't be like going on YouTube talking about you a false teacher or something, all right? You can't earn the gospel, obviously, but really what we're saying is, how do you gain this? And then after you gain it, what does it look like to apply it and to begin to carry out this reality in your life? How do we gain and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now in chapter two, where we're going to be at today, there's an argument that's going on about our boy Titus, all right? Titus was a pastor and a missionary and a friend of Paul, and Titus was a Gentile. And at that time, Gentiles were not circumcised, all right? Welcome to church, we're talking about circumcision, all right? If you have kids, good luck later, all right? So, right, in the Old Testament, okay, what happened was, to clarify that is, hey, if you followed Yahweh, this is our God, if you followed that God, then you showed that by actually being circumcised. And so it set you apart from the cultures around you because God has always called his people to be set apart from the culture that surrounds them. And so if you look a little bit too much like the culture, maybe you're not actually following in the ways of God. Because always there's a distinction, there's a difference between us and the culture. And while he commands us to operate in it and to love it and to work within it, we are also set apart from it. And so circumcision was one of the physical ways that they did that to show the spiritual reality of their separation because of their obedience and their love of God. Now the Jewish Christians at the time who believed in Jesus, but they were, Uh, trying to uh, do different things with this gospel message, they said that in order to follow Christ, you still had to be circumcised. In other words, you still had to believe some of the Old Testament principles and bring them over into this New Testament reality, into this gospel reality. And so this was the argument they were having as Titus himself is a Gentile, and they're like, hey, how come this dude ain't getting circumcised? I don't know if he's really a believer. And so Paul is now writing to kind of clarify these things, and that's where we pick up today. So Galatians chapter 2. I want to pick it right up there in verse 2. This is Paul speaking. He says this, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seem influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers, keyword, secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And so the gospel, what Paul is saying here, is not right behavior with wrong belief. All right. The reason I call this right behavior is that these Jewish Christians, they probably had the right motivations. They probably were trying to add on to this gospel of grace because they were trying to show they were serious about God. They wanted to love God. They wanted to honor God. They wanted to prove, in a sense, their sincerity to God. However, in doing this, what they didn't realize is that they were not adding to the gospel, for that is impossible, but rather they were actually adding to their own slavery. 
slavery. And so by trying to create this freedom, they were actually becoming slaves again. And they were really uh, messing up the picture of the gospel is what Paul is saying. And so Paul says that if you try to add anything to the gospel, it is not freedom, it is slavery. And that's what happens, right? We can be tempted to do that. Christ has come to set us free, so we cannot earn our favor or our right standing with God, friends. That's not what happens here. Ultimately, this is actually called legalism, right? It is trying to earn God's grace or God's favor to prove to God that you are worthy of his grace and favor. That's what legalism is. Another way to say this is it's religion, okay? It is uh, trying to do enough good things to be accepted by God. What religion says is I'm good and therefore God accepts me. What the gospel of grace says is that you're not good, but he accepts you anyway because of what Jesus has done for you. And so the emphasis on religion is what you can do for God, putting the burden on yourself to become your own savior. And I don't know about y'all, but I ain't good at saving myself, right? And the gospel comes and says, no, 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 no. It's what somebody else has done for you. This is what actually brings freedom. And so it's not by what we do, but by what he's done for us. Now, we may not naturally think of ourselves as religious people because when I say religion, you put something in your mind that may be different than what you actually are. And so you put down your old Baptist church that you were at, like, yeah, them religious people, right? And that's what you, I ain't hating on Baptists, all right? So, all right, okay. So that's what I think we tend to do, right? And so uh, let me give you an example of how all of us struggle with legalism. If I were to say right now, like how many of you just had some dope quiet times this week, right? Like how many of you were faithful to God the whole week and you sought his face in and through the scriptures? That was you the whole week, right? How many of you would raise your hand? I think most of us would actually feel guilty because instead of spending time with the lover of your soul, you spent time with the consumer of your soul, Netflix. Mm, right? Okay, but what is this guilt showing you? When you feel this guilt, even as I make that statement right there, what does the guilt begin to show you? That you feel bad because you didn't do something. So you probably don't feel bad because you didn't get time with the person that you love and really this relationship with God is kind of like, like a romance where you really want to spend time around the person. That's probably not the feeling that you feel. You feel bad because you didn't do something and then in not doing something, you feel guilty before God because you and intuitively think that you can earn grace or favor with God. And because you did not have a good quiet time this week, you are no longer in his good graces. This is legalism, right? And we all can slip into this. Now for a couple of us in here, we did have some dope quiet times this week. And you know what our temptation is when I ask that question is to be like, I I I had good quiet times, (laughs) right? And to kind of show ourselves like, no, no, I I spent time with the Lord. Why? Because we, the rest of us will think that, man, because we did something, now we have more of the grace of God as if performance equals God's grace. That is never true, family. It is never true. And so this is the reality that there's this uh, tight uh, line, this rope that we need to walk, and we can fall into legalism very easy. You are a legalist because legalism is sin, and we are sinners by nature. And so naturally, we would begin to bend into something that is anti-gospel, trying to work our way toward God. You following that? 
And so all of us, I think, are in this boat. The gospel is not legalism. Legalism often produces the right behaviors. We're working really, really hard to be holy. We want to be set apart for God. We want to bless him or to honor him. These behaviors are right, but it's the wrong belief. It's saying that because of what I do, I am accepted, and that is never true in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot earn your way to God, but it's so easy for us to slip into legalism. We are not a legalistic, saturated church. We are a gospel-saturated church, and there's a big difference between those two. We're not a church that's built on religion and keeping the rules, and we're built on grace, being kept by God, and so it's not what we keep. It's who keeps us, and this is what we need to be as a people of God. So this is one end of the air is legalism, all right, but Paul doesn't stop there. He keeps going, so let's pick it up in verse 11. He says, but when Cephas, okay, stop there for a second, Cephas is actually Peter, the apostle, the one that walked with Jesus, okay? Jesus changed his name to Peter. Now, Paul knows that this is Peter's real name because in verse 7 and 8, he actually calls Peter, Peter. But here, he's calling him Cephas. Why? I think because Paul is trying to show Peter is acting in his pre-Jesus nature. He's no longer acting like someone who has been redeemed by God. He's acting like him old self. So I'm even going to call him by his old name to prove that he's not walking in light of the gospel. All right? And so Cephas is Peter there. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So what Peter is doing is he's operating opposite in a sense. Peter has the right belief. He's clearly a Christian. He loves Jesus. He's been called by Jesus, chosen by Jesus, redeemed by Jesus, reaffirmed by Jesus after he's fallen. He has the right belief, but he has the wrong behaviors. He's the opposite in a sense. The gospel is not the right belief with the wrong behaviors. This is called hypocrisy right? We're not a Hippocratic-centered church. We are a gospel-centered church, or at least we strive to be. And this is what we're seeing here. Now, in the Old Testament, to put it in context, uh, the Jews weren't really allowed to eat with the Gentiles. The reason why is because uh, they were supposed to be separated from the culture around them. But they took this separation a little bit too far, for that was never directly spoken in the scriptures. But being legalistic, they begin to create their own rules, live by them, and then think they're righteous because they're keeping their own rules. Right? But this is why it's revolutionary when Jesus comes down, a Jew, and he begins to eat not just with Gentiles or with women, but with sinners, it calls them. And they were that. They were tax collectors and prostitutes. It's, it's revolutionary because Jesus is eating with these people that does not look like him. And then in Acts chapter 10, what we see is the continuation of this because the Holy Spirit comes to Peter and tells Peter the Gentiles are no longer impure because Christ became impure that he might win their purity and now all things are pure in Jesus. And so now you can actually eat with them. It does not taint you in any way. In fact, not only can you, I'm commanding you to go do that. And this is what Acts chapter 10 is. However, Peter at this moment was more concerned with being right with men than he was in being right with God. Hello. 
right? And I think we can slide into that same thing as well, often, right? Though he knew the truth and he preached the truth, his behavior is beginning to slip and he is not living in accordance with the truth. This is hypocrisy. We can be tempted to fall into this same thing because let me just ask us straight up, are you more concerned with the applause of the world or the applause of your God? I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I'm often more concerned with the applause of y'all than of Jesus, right? Are you more concerned with keeping the world's commands, what they say is good, or are you more concerned with keeping God's commands, what he says is good? Do you try to take the truths of Scripture and try to align them to the culture, or do you try to align the culture with the truth of Scripture? We can all act in nature. (laughs) I just spoke in tongues. Y'all didn't even know it, right? We charismatic up in this joint, right? (laughs) Right? I think if we asked ourselves this, right, if we thought about this, I think we would realize that we fade into this often, right? For example, we cannot say that we believe in a message about a God who came to help the poor and the powerless, and yet we live self-indulgent lives never thinking about the poor and the powerless. That's not in line with the gospel is what Peter is saying or Paul is saying here. Right, So this cheap grace idea as well, that's another way we can slip off into it, where we believe in the power of God, but we don't want to align fully with what God says. And so maybe better put, we can either be religious, as we talked about, trying to earn God's favor, or we can be irreligious and not concern ourselves at all with God's holiness. Both of them are not in line with the gospel. Like, to say that we believe in the scriptures about a God whose salvation saves our soul and yet reject other truths of scripture because we don't like what they say is hypocritic. Wow, I was messing up that word. Hypocritical. What happened? This is the second sermon, that's why. It's hypocritical in nature to say that, man, I'm going to accept these things about God that bring all this power and beauty, but I'm going to reject these things that I don't like because, man, I just don't want to live with them. And so this is what Peter was living like. And Paul comes and he rebukes him to his face, it says. I always wonder why that was in Scripture, right? Like, what did that look like? Like, he just walked up to him like, hey, dog, you ain't living in line with the gospel. To his face. Paul was a little bit hood. That's what I'm saying here, okay? So uh, you can't say you believe with God, have your actions be out of line with God. The the gospel is not just right belief. It is also right action, family. That's what he's trying to highlight here. So do you see this beautiful freedom and the accessibility of the gospel and yet the unbelievable tightrope that you need to walk along that you can so easily fall off on either side? We can easily move toward legalism or licentiousness, doing whatever we want to do, not caring about God. We can move from religion to irreligion very, very, very swiftly, family. And Paul's trying to warn us against that. This is not the gospel. This is anti-gospel in a way. Tony Merida, who's a pastor and a professor, uh, he says this about this section. He says, Galatians reminds us how easy we drift toward both legalism and hypocrisy. On one hand, we think that by doing good things, we earn favor before God, legalism. Then on the other hand, we claim to have the gospel of grace, but live just like the rest of the world, hypocrisy. We need to avoid both errors. And so we are not a legalistic, religious, saturated people, nor are we uh, irreligious, uh, 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 people that just don't care about God whatsoever. We actually need to allow the full gospel truth to shape us. And so what is that full gospel? What does that look like? Well, he goes on to explain it at the end of this chapter. So pick it up in verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. 
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. His death is useless, is what he's saying there. That's a powerful statement, right? But this is the balance. Do you see this? We don't live by the law, verse 19, nor do we live by the flesh, verse 20, but we actually balance between those and the life that we now live in the flesh. We live by faith in the Son of God. And so what the gospel is, is it's a living by faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. This is how we find our freedom. We place our faith in Jesus, and then this brings freedom. Where we do not believe in Jesus, we fall back into slavery, is what he says here. And we want to be a free people, not an enslaved people to our own sin or our own flesh. And so they're trying to create liberty here. So we don't just have the right belief about Jesus, family of God. We actually apply Jesus into every area of our life. I love what Paul does here. It's hard to see in the English, but he's making a very clear dichotomy in the Greek. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That word have there uh, is a perfect tense. What that means is, is that it happened at some point in the past, and it applies to Paul's life throughout his whole life into eternity. In other words, when he placed his faith in Jesus, the old Paul died, he was sealed with Jesus, and Jesus will carry him into eternity. In other words, you can't lose your salvation. This is good news. Your salvation does not depend on you. It depends on somebody else. And so that's what Paul is highlighting here. However, then he goes, he says, the life that I now live, I live by faith. That word faith, it's a present tense. And so what that means is it's a moment-by-moment action. There's a continual apply in this faith. You don't just believe the right thing once and for all and then live like it doesn't matter, but you take this belief and you apply it moment-by-moment, day-by-day, hour-by-hour in your life. This is what it means to walk in the goodness of God. And so you trust Jesus, you place your faith in him, the old you dies, the new you comes to life, and you continue to grow in this trust. This is a gospel faith that he calls us to live by. So the gospel doesn't just happen once. The gospel happens on a daily basis, family. Are we believing the gospel? Are we walking in the gospel? Y'all tracking with that? Okay, good, because I'm going to get hyped, so don't lose me, all right? (laughs) Romans 1.16, let's turn here real quick. This is a super important verse for us. And if you've been in Christian circles at all, you've probably heard this verse before, right? And so in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul is writing to this church, and he kind of gives the same thing. He's explaining the gospel for us. So he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why not? It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so what is he saying here? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is a bold message is the first point. We are not afraid of preaching it because it is indeed the hope of the world. He is not ashamed of the gospel. There's a bold that comes in with that. It's a powerful message because it comes from God himself. It says this is the gospel of the power of God. This is who it comes from. It is a saving message because it's the only thing that can reform and change your heart. And so it's salvific in nature. And it's an inclusive message because it unifies all underneath our King Jesus, whether Jew or Greek, black or white, male or female, rich or poor, old or young, it doesn't matter. We are all included 
included in this gospel family because of what Jesus has done for us. So there's this beautiful aspect of the gospel. The word salvation here, though, is a really, really, really important word. So stick with me for a second. Don't lose me on this, okay? We normally think of salvation as kind of being saved, exiting death, and entering into life. And this is indeed true. But salvation is a much more holistic term than that, okay? And so I'm going to save you $60,000 from having to go to seminary, and we're going to do a seminary class real quick, all right? And so this understanding of salvation actually carries with it three kind of terms here. The terms are justification, sanctification, and glorification, okay? Now, when we think about the term salvation, we only usually think about the justification aspect. What that word means is to be made right with God. So when we say, I have been saved, this is the word that we're usually using. We're saying, I have been justified. I have been made right with God. And this is 100% true if you believe in Jesus. However, for most of the church, we stop here. And we don't allow the full power of the gospel to do its work in our life because salvation is not just justification, but it's also sanctification, being made more like God. This is wildly important because it is salvific not to be like you and to be more like God. Because you bring sorrow and death to your life, and God brings joy and life. In fact, he is life, it says. You bring misery, he brings peace eternally, it says. You only work these deeds of death, but God is life in and of himself. You will die and die forever. Jesus raises to eternal life. And so if you believe in him, you become like him. It is a good, salvific thing to become like our God. For you were created in the image of God. And so in his image is where you find your most, most life because you weren't just looking like him. You're supposed to be like him. And so salvation is him making you more like himself, pulling you into his image, and you begin to come alive when that happens, family. This is what it looks like. So it's not just being made right with God, but it's also becoming more and more like God. This is what your soul wants. It's what it's been created for, is to be like your King Jesus. And this is what salvation is. Listen, when you're stuck just trying to be a better version of you, you're not going to be joy-filled in the end. You're going to be cold and dead. We cannot just try to be better versions of us. We have to become like Christ. This is what the scriptures say. And so, so many of us are working on, on us. I'm just doing me is what we say, right? No, don't just do you, kill you, and go be like Jesus, right? As you become like Jesus, you come alive, family. This is sanctification, right? And then glorification is the finished work of sanctification. It's when you reign with God forever. You are in glory with God for all eternity forever, finally with him and family of God like him. It says we will be made like Jesus one day, fully alive. So this is the gospel. The gospel is salvation is what Paul says. But salvation is this whole message. It's not just being made right with God. It's also becoming like God and therefore being made right with man as we bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel begins to change everything around us. So listen, family, we are not a justification-saturated people. We are a gospel-saturated people. The whole work of salvation, this is what we concern ourselves with. We're not just concerned with being made right with God, and then we stop there. No, no, as a church, our vision is that we would not just be made right with God, but we would become like God, and we would be image bearers on this earth to highlight the goodness of who he is and to carry out the kingdom amongst us. This is what God is calling us to. 
This is when you come alive. This is when the power of God reigns in your life and you feel the goodness of God. Us crucified, Christ reigning. So this is important as we think about our vision because if we don't understand this, then we're going to stop short of what God is calling us to be as a church. And so this is where it gets important, okay? Go back to Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul tells Peter that he is not acting in line with the gospel because he is not eating with Gentiles. Question, what does eating with Gentiles have to do with the gospel? Well, if you stop at justification, nothing. It has nothing to do with the gospel. But Paul's understanding of the gospel is much more holistic than this, family. What he says is that Peter is not eating with these Jews. He's not living like Jesus because, look, y'all, Jesus sure as heck came down and ate with sinners, didn't he? We just talked about that. So Peter is not imaging Christ. He's not allowing the gospel work to work in his life. He's looking more like himself than like Jesus. And Paul says, that is not the gospel. That is not good news. That only brings death to you and to others around you. So even Barnabas is falling into this trap. And the Jews are exalting themselves. And the Gentiles are feeling lowly. The, the work of the gospel isn't playing itself out because you're not believing in the gospel, Peter. You're not allowing the gospel to change you. This is important, right? So therefore, when we begin to say things like as a church we want to fight for something like racial reconciliation we're not just saying that because it's a cool thing we're saying that because we believe in Jesus and as we believe in Jesus we realize there's oppression or or wrongness in this world so we want to bring the rightness of heaven into this world and make it look more like the kingdom of God this is what we're called to do this is not the social gospel family but the gospel does impact everything around us even socially and so we live in light of that, preaching Christ crucified only. We are a Christ-centered people, but then we allow the gospel to do a work in everything around us. Y'all tracking with that? Okay, this is who we are as a people of God. This is the reflection of the power of the gospel. We don't just uh, preach one thing and then live differently. We're not, we're not thinking about that. We're trying to highlight the beauty of Jesus. This is the message we preach, for this is the hope of our souls, and it's the hope of the restoration of all things around us. It's the gospel. And as we believe in that and walk in that, as we saturate everything in that, everything begins to change. So now when we're married, y'all, let me give you a practical example. You ain't just trying to have a better marriage. That's it, right? Like what, what would that mean if you just had a better marriage and, okay, you're a little bit happier or whatever, you're still going to die, right? <laughs> okay. So let that sit in for a second. When we're a gospel-saturated people, though, what we're doing is we're trying to imitate Christ and the church. And so, therefore, we sacrifice for our spouse, or we love our spouse, or we surrender, or we respect them, or we forgive, or we reconcile with our spouse because this is what Jesus has done for us. And so, therefore, we remain faithful to our spouse because Jesus is faithful to you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we do that with our spouse, not just to have a good marriage, but because we're looking like Jesus at that moment. And then we also go and we forgive our spouse of whatever may happen because Jesus has forgiven you even though you did not deserve it. So you think your spouse don't deserve it. You didn't deserve his forgiveness. He gave it to you anyway. And so now we image that in our marriages. One person looked at their spouse like, mm, you listening? They looked back like, mm, you listening? Right? And y'all both need to repent. All right? <laughs> Okay, so this is what it looks like, right, to be a gospel-centered people. Listen, can I, can I touch on an idol for us? This is why we're called to be generous with our money, right? Not because anybody needs it, 
okay? But literally, because in this, we are imaging God. You see, Jesus was so rich that he walked on gold in heaven. Like the thing we consider most precious just gets walked upon in heaven. It means nothing there, right? He was so rich, yet he became poor. Why? So that you who are poor may be rich in him forever. And now, as we begin to give generously of what he has given to us, what we're doing is we're imaging the Father at that moment. We're looking like our daddy. We are beginning to become more like Jesus. See, he is generous. And so listen, family, wherever your heart is stingy, all that that is showing you is that that's an aspect where you don't believe the gospel. Now listen, Peter, the the apostle Peter, he was not believing the gospel here. That's That's what Paul is saying, right? So don't let this conviction be empty, but do allow this conviction to point you back to Jesus to say, where am I not saturating my life with the gospel? Where am I only believing the right thing but not living the right thing? Where am I not allowing the gospel to permeate every area of our life? We are a gospel saturated, everything type of people. Let that marinate in your souls, family. Let it sit in there. Let it begin to impact everything around you. See, when we are stingy, this is not the power of the gospel. You don't look like your father. You look like you. And you will never bring life to anything around you because we are dead in nature. But God is alive, as Adam said, and alive forever. And so as we believe that, then we begin to bring life to everything around us. All it's showing where we're not doing that is there's still a sanctifying work that needs to happen. And listen, that's true in me, all over the place, left and right. I do not image Christ, but I need to more and more as I submit to his authority and believe in his goodness, the power of Christ comes alive in me. This is what it looks like to be a gospel people. So we saturate everything with the gospel. This is the vision for our church, y'all. It's the vision for our community groups. It's the vision for worship. It's the vision for our sermons. It should be the vision for your own individual life that you saturate everything with the gospel. This is why we plant churches or send missionaries. This is why we as a church want to be generous with our resources because our God was generous with his resources toward us. So we image him as a church collectively. You should be doing that as individuals. We should be looking more and more like Jesus for as we look like Jesus, we become the aroma of Jesus. Jesus for the world around us, and the life of the gospel explodes in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our own individual life, y'all. We are a gospel-saturated, everything type of people. This is who we are as a family of God. And look, when we ain't living like that, we call each other out, like Paul did to Peter. And we challenge each other to live up to this reality because we want our freedom. Listen, I love you, family. I want your freedom, not your slavery. And when you live for yourself, you're becoming your own slave. And you will drag yourself down to the grave. But when you live for Jesus, man, there is freedom that comes and hope of the gospel. This is the power of the gospel that one day will bring you into glory to reign with him forever. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah. And listen, isn't Jesus our most beautiful example of this family? He's the very picture of this for us. He is our example and our image. You see, Jesus was the only one who was truly glorified. You see, he existed forever with God. He was God himself. He was full of glory, the scripture says. And yet Jesus came down to earth and was born in a dirty uh, manger and was, became a human inglorious. He was the man of sorrows that we would not look at. He took that glory and he laid it down for our sake. Jesus was the one that was truly sanctified. He was perfect. He had no sin, family. And he was justified. He was forever right with God, 
for he was God and the Father's pleasure was forever on him because he was perfectly right with God and yet Jesus came down and died on the cross. Why? Well, at that moment when he dies, there's this inglorious thing that's happening. He loses this glory as he begins to have the sin of the world placed upon him. And even humans can no longer look at him, but they turn and they scoff at him. And he loses this sanctity as he begins to take on the sin of man. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he became sin. And when he cried out to the Father, the Father turned his face from him, showing that he was no longer justified before God. Why? So that you who should never have the Father's faith, who should never walk in beauty with Christ and who should not go live with God forever may now, if you believe in Jesus, have that accredited to you. He gives you his justification, his sanctification, and his glorification. He takes away all of your sin and shame. He became what you should have been so that you can become who he is. This is the gospel, family. This is the gospel of God. And as we believe in that as a people, I mean, it changes everything around us. Everything. And we begin to live in light of the gospel in a way that is beautiful to the world around us. Listen, we begin to change things about ourselves. We begin to change things in the world. We become unbelievably compassionate and gracious, and yet we still fully believe in truth and will submit to that truth, believing that what is in here brings life to everyone around We will be a people that uh, saturate our marriages in the gospel, or we become content in our singleness because of the gospel, or we become free in whatever way uh, that God may be calling us into freedom because of the gospel. This is how we have generous hearts as a people. This is how we live pure and holy lives. The gospel gives meaning and purpose into every area of your life. So as we learn how to apply the gospel, as Paul is trying to get the Galatians to do, then we begin to live in freedom. Freedom. We get crucified, Christ comes alive, and you feel your soul alive in the way that it was intended to. This is why we have compassion toward those who are hurting. This is why we want justice in an unjust world, because God is a just God that one day will reign forever, but we want the kingdom on earth here now as it is in heaven. He told us to pray that very thing. This is why we preach the gospel with boldness to our neighbor, knowing this is the only thing that frees. This is the power to overcome sin in your life. The gospel is everything. We are a gospel-saturated, everything type of people. And so would that be true forever of us as as a family? And as we allow that truth to reign in our hearts, and when we preach that truth to each other, will we learn how to apply that truth? And where we do that, man, the vision that God gives you as an individual, us as a church, becomes alive in beautiful ways. For we are no longer highlighting ourselves or even justice for justice sake, or growth for growth sake, or multiplication, we are highlighting Jesus and him crucified and his resurrecting power in our life to change us. That's who we long to be. Would that forever be true of us, family of God? I love you guys. Let's pray. God, would you make us a gospel-saturated everything type of people? Would we learn how to apply this in our life? I mean, Jesus, would you convict us and challenge us where we do not live in light of this, God? Where we need your conviction, where we are stingy, where we are selfish, where we are self-focused. I mean, would you just show us that? 
Would you help us to lay that down before you, where we care more about what the world thinks than about what you think, where we are not honoring our spouse and our marriage and therefore not representing you, where we are not honoring our brothers and sisters and therefore not representing you, where we are not believing in the gospel and it's justifying a salvific work in our life. Would you help us to repent, to lay that down, and then to be lifted up in you, Jesus? May God pray for everyone in the room, even right now, who maybe doesn't have that relationship with you. Maybe they've been trying to earn their salvation or maybe they just don't really care at all and maybe today you're doing the work in their heart. Listen, friends, I'd love for you to become not just a friend but a part of our family. And as you say, man, Jesus, I, be- I believe in you. I want to give my life to you. I want to surrender to you. God, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you help me to walk in relationship with you? Listen, as you pray that prayer, then you are justified before God. If you mean it in your heart, you are made right with God. And this act that happened once will carry you throughout eternity. And if you mean that, then what happens is you begin to change. The sanctifying work of the gospel takes effect. You begin to look more like Jesus for you realize this is life. This gift is offered today. You say, God, I am yours. I believe in you. I don't even fully know what that means, but I want to follow you, God. It becomes true. God, thank you. That's a reality for so many of us in here. We have prayed that prayer. Would we pray that prayer over and over and over again, God? Would we be a people that saturate our lives with the gospel of you, our King Jesus? We love you, Father. Praise things in your very beautiful name. Amen.